power, it is with understanding, it, it, it is with goodness, and it is with uh, faith. And so we thank you, Lord, for faith coming from this word in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, so we're going to talk about unreasonable doubt today. Amen. Unreasonable doubt. You know, doubting God is unreasonable, and we'll talk about why, and we'll talk about the voice of doubt and how it speaks to us so that you can recognize it and refuse it as not being a part of what uh, is for us. Um, and I think as long as we understand that doubt is our enemy, and it's never, ever, ever a friend, especially once you learn to recognize it. And I think this is why uh, many people don't fight it as much as they should because they don't recognize it as an enemy because doubt always comes in your voice or in a familiar voice or it will come in a reasonable voice. It comes in a way that makes it easy for us to accept it if we don't learn how to discern. Now, discerning is a part of the spirit of God. It's not part of darkness, amen. Uh, with, with in darkness, you're guessing all the time, and you're suspecting. But with God and in His Spirit, you are truly discerning. You are learning to tell where that voice is coming from. And the only way you can do that accurately is you have to go by the voice of the inner witness on the inside of your spirit. You have to allow that word to be judged on the inside of you by the Spirit of God. Now, what do I mean by that? I just mean that there are times when words will come to your ear and you're not really certain the origin of the words. See, when you discern, you're judging the origin. Where did that word come from? What kingdom did that come from? And that's really all you need to decide is, is it coming from the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light? You make a decision. That's what discernment is. But you cannot discern by your carnal thinking. You can only guess. You can only judge. You can only suspect. Many times you'll hear something and not really know how to judge it, you know. My recommendation is to ask God if that's him or not. If it's him, ask him to uh, confirm that to you. See, there needs to be continual dialogue between us and God so that our discernment gets sharper and sharper the more we walk with God. It should not get duller and duller. It should get sharper and sharper. If it gets duller, is because there's a voice you like listening to and you choose to listen to that instead of letting God tell you what's for you and what's not for you. Amen? There are times when our flesh can crave things so much that anything that seems similar to what we desire, we'll just grab at it. You know, you, you just grab at the wrong thing because it, it looks so good to you. Amen. And so the Bible tells us that God's kingdom is not, it can't be perceived by the carnal man, number one. 
that God's kingdom is is uh, more of a spiritual thing. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not really meat and drink, even though it will avail you of those things. Advancement in the spirit realm will command natural things into your life. But going after things in the natural is not God's way. It's not the kingdom. And so many times we'll get excited about something because it all seems to fall into place. You know, I got a prophecy. God says I'm going to do this. I got this. I got that. I got, and here it is. And it winds up not being it. Then we we get afraid, and when is it coming? Did I really hear God? So what we need to do is back up a few steps and start to get confirmed. Did you hear God? Is that did He tell you that? Now the only way you'll know if He told you is you got to get in the Word to find out. You can't just sit up here and listen to your brain, listen to your head, listen to your this, listen to your that, and assume that that's God because you want it so bad now there are many things that we want that are God you want to see them come to pass you want good things to happen to you everybody wants that but there's a kingdom way of obtaining and then there's a natural way of obtaining and the kingdom way will always lead to blessings without sorrow Amen. There won't be any tragedy following it, uh, uh, following it. There won't be any hurt and harm coming after it. You know, people say, well, well, I, I know I read the Bible and I know God told me. No, you don't. Just because you saw it in the Bible and you wanted it. Listen, there are people that crave stuff all the time going to the Bible and, and they're sure they did. The, 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 when when you rightly divide the word of truth, well, we talk about that because there's wrong dividing and there's right dividing. Rightly dividing the word of truth means that you put a a question before God, you put a a uh, request before God. Number one, God really. The the order of this needs to be corrected in our lives. Many times we'll sit and think of something we want real bad and then go in the Bible and see if we can find a scripture to validate what we want. That's what scholars, Bible scholars will call that isogesis. I write it down because it's a good word. I-S-O-G-E-S-I-S. Iso meaning self. So when you go in, and Jesus means, it just means to the origin of things, like Genesis, that G-E-N is, is where it originates. So isogesis means that that idea originated with you, and you go in the Bible to find out if you can find that it's okay, and it came from you. The opposite is exegesis, E-X, E-G-E-S-I-S. And that means that that came from outside of you, 
which means it did not originate with your thought life. It didn't originate in your heart. It originated more than likely in God. So exegesis really means that you go in the Bible with no preconceived wants, cravings, desires, no witchcraft. And you go in there and ask God to speak to you, and he may not talk to you about what you think you want so bad. Till you calm down about it. Huh? Because he wants you in peace. The best way to find out what God has for you is just go into the word and let him illuminate what you need right then. See, we think we need something so bad because we, we I don't know, you know, you just get things. People just have, I've always wanted so-and-so. If that's true, you're going to be in trouble trying to work it. You understand what I'm saying? Things we always want originate with us. You know, the best thing to do when you get saved is just to say, oh, I never existed before. God, whatever you have for me, show it to me. I don't want nothing. I'm just glad I ain't going to hell. You understand what I'm saying? And live like that every day. You know, we get a few answers to prayer and we all that all of a sudden. Huh? I think we running this show. Huh? Going to get in the Bible and get all, get permission to get everything we always wanted. No. Huh? So we have to understand how to rightly divide the word and how to allow God the freedom to speak to us. It will shock you sometimes the things that God really wants you doing with your time and with your life. It really will. You'll think it's over here and then you find out it's way over here somewhere. And all you've been doing is running around with your own little selfish ideas trying to make God co-sign them. Huh? He's not a co-signer. He's the author and the finisher. He don't have to co-sign nothing that you want. And he don't have to pay for it either. Huh? That's why many of us get in credit card debt. We find, oh, God really didn't. That wasn't really what God told me to go do all this. Hmm? It's true. It's true. So then God wants us to believe him, wants us to and have a love and appreciation for his word and to appreciate his word. But doubting God's word is unreasonable. Because God and his word are one. Doubt comes to us in a familiar voice. We've said that. And it sounds reasonable. It's not necessarily peaceable, but it sounds reasonable. So first of all, we have to understand how God speaks to us and what that, what that effect, what effect it has on us. Amen. The, uh, in the book of James, it talks about the wisdom that is from above. Maybe I'll go there first because I didn't really plan to go there. James 1 verse 5, it says here, if any of you lack wisdom... 
Let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and does not upbraid him, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, because he that wavers is like a wave of a sea driven with wind and tossed. Don't let that man think he will get anything from God. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Lord, let me help me find the one I want about wisdom. 315, thank you very much. You cheating over there too, because I don't have all of that. <laughs> the wisdom, it says here, uh, verse 313, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Anyway, this is what he said. You think you're smart, huh? <laughs> Let him show out of his good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. Conversation really means when people talk about your conversation, they're assuming your lifestyle follows your words. So that's what you profess and also what you do. Christians are good at professing scripture and then doing something else. And he says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, don't glory and don't lie against the truth. The wisdom that descends not from above, but this wisdom, in other words, anything that has bitter envying and strife, This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. This is why your your kids fight each other about who's sitting in this chair and who's going to (laughs) do You know what I'm saying? They don't have godly wisdom. They're going to fight over everything. But, you know, sometimes you observe things, you understand Scripture better sometimes. They're just walking in the wisdom that they have. They're just kids until you teach them better. Now, don't be fighting over that chair. We got plenty of chairs. Why you want that? Well, he sit in it all the time. Okay. What's wrong with that? But you dare not ask that. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, (laughs) I mean, what can you do? It says there, the wisdom, it's sensual, devilish, and earthly. It pertains to your flesh. For where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom of God that is from above is first pure. There's no contention there. Nothing to get upset about. Then peaceable. Even if you argue, it'll lead to peace. You understand what I'm saying? When God's wisdom comes in there, it will lead to peace. Gentle. Easy to be entreated. In other words, when people speak God's wisdom... You can ask them questions, but through entreaty, not confrontation. There's a difference. See, people think you, you know, you think because it's you, you can get up in people's face and they're supposed to be nice to you. Amen. So the wisdom from above is easy to be entreated, not confronted. You got me? Because many times you don't put up with that from your children. They don't get in your face and accuse you of stuff and tell you and do this right. You you don't put up with that. That's not from above. And so if they want to know something from you, they come to you in a spirit of meekness, entreating you and questioning you, asking in a polite manner with, with the end of wanting to hear your side. When you entreat somebody, you want to hear their side. You don't want to tell them, uh, you did this and you did that. And I didn't like this and I didn't like that. You don't treat me right. That's not entreaty. That's accusation. 
See, that's from the dark side. So you just tell them, well, honey, when you calm down and we can talk about this, you come back and we talk about it. Amen. It's not that I don't want to talk to you, but I'm not going to try and refute your accusation. Okay, just come later, straighten yourself out, and we'll talk. But I'm not going to hear you ranting and raving and railing at me. You understand what I'm saying? And so, so, and then when you go to somebody and you want to have questions answered, you entreat them. Amen. Show them respect. It says, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Amen. So you're not treating one person better than the other, expecting something better or expecting something better for you than God would give to somebody else. And and you're not being a hypocrite about it. In other words, you're not talking one thing and doing another. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So really, God's wisdom, the fruit of God's wisdom is peace. And that's what you want. You That is the highest confirmation that you can ever have is the peace of God in your hearts. So when you get wisdom from God in the word, for the things that you desire or the things that you want to see happen in your life or whatever it is, you stay with that until it gets settled, till peace comes in and you're settled. This is what God wants for me. This is the direction he wants me to go. This is what he wants me to do. And let that settle it and don't let the devil keep picking at you with doubt. Amen? So once God settles and gives you an answer on something, leave it alone. And then work to convince yourself that you have heard from God. So what he'll do, he'll give you other scriptures to go, you ever get in a place where you're just now understanding what God wants you to do? And it seems like every person you're around will say something that, confirms it or quickens your spirit or or makes you more settled in it that's god's way that's his way he you know he's not a scripture in a box that you pull out over the breakfast table every morning grabbing your coffee running out that's not him now that might tide you over make you feel a little better make you more religious i don't know what it's supposed to do for you but but god wants you he wants to commune with us I mean, sit down, spend time, pull up a chair, talk to me, and I'll talk to you. Better yet, shut up and let me talk for a change, you know, with some of us. Amen? You can ask God things. You can ask him anything you want to ask him. But I think the best thing to do is experience him through his word. Get in that word and start feasting on what God wants to say to you. Start understanding what his voice really sounds like. Start letting that word really minister to you so that when you step out in faith to pursue something with God's word that he has for you, the enemy can't easily trip you up and give you something false that's not for you. We got to get it settled enough in us before we start moving out and wanting to do this and wanting to do that and. God told me I'm a, he could told me and he told he told everybody if you got a Bible that speaks to all of us. You understand what I'm saying? Come on now. 
So doubt, doubting God is very unreasonable. Why is that? Because Jesus uh, uh, proved the word of God with many infallible proofs. Many infallible proofs. Turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Uh, this is Paul with his letter to Theophilus. Oh, I'm sorry, Luke, right? Acts is written by Luke. Sorry about that. Uh, to uh, Theophilus, who's probably another doctor. Who knows? <laughs> Talking about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive, after his passion by many infallible proofs. Infallible really means that they cannot be refuted at all. Infallible means it's a substantiated, let me see the definition I put down here. Thank you, Jesus. Now, why was I all over the place with this? I'm going to find it at some point. I'm going to find it at uh, uh-uh, I haven't found it just yet, but I'll I'll explain more, expand more on that word because it, infallible really means it cannot be disputed because the truth of it is so widely known. You got me. You know, if you ask anybody who is Jesus, he's the savior of the world. That's infallible. It, it just cannot be disputed because there's not somebody else running around here claiming that same thing, that kind of stuff. It says here, he says, it plainly known and indisputable. That's what infallible means. His resurrection provided the infallibility of his of his word, the truth of his word. Now, what does doubt mean? Doubt sounds reasonable until the advocate shows up and argues against it. Man, everything sounds reasonable until truth comes to put up an argument against it. Amen. The the thing with, with doubt is that, or any kind of lie, doubt really is a lie. Amen. It's not true, especially when it comes against God's word. So doubt is always the lie. It's never the truth. God's word is the truth. But it sounds reasonable until the advocate shows up and argues against it. Jesus has presented his case with many infallible proofs. His case has always already been presented at the court of heaven, at the judgment seat of the Father. What is the infallible proof? Well, part of it is his blood. When Jesus as a high priest presented, entered into heaven with with his own blood, which as a man, that blood gave him access. So that was legal access to heaven because he came as a human. He was wrapped up in human skin. Had he not taken that blood with him, he would not have had access because he was in the form of a man. Got me? All men must be covered in the blood. So he brought the blood with him. The Bible says not without blood 
he entered into the holy of holies and sits at the right hand of the father and now he lives as an intercessor for us an advocate for us somebody who prays for us somebody who dispatches angels for us somebody who works on our behalf so he presented the infallible proofs about himself in other words this blood is what I shed, and now I'm raised up, and so this blood comes as a sacrifice for all mankind because the fact that I'm raised up means that I didn't die for my sins because he couldn't be raised up if he died for his own sins. So this proves, this blood proves he is sinless. This blood proves he shed it as a sacrifice. For all humanity, this blood proves that he is who he says he is because he actually died and he was raised up. And the proof of that is the scars. So this isn't a figment of somebody's imagination or this isn't a second Christ or something. It's actually the body now glorified that he walked the earth in. And the evidence is the covenant scars still on him. Amen. So Thomas said that. See, Jesus knew he would run into Thomas and he would run into a lot of doubters where he would have to prove that he was raised from the dead because this body has the same scars. Anybody who was there for the crucifixion knows exactly where those scars were. They know exactly what, who made them and so forth and so on. And so the evidence is the scars. He bore them so you and I don't have to have them. Oh, I had such a rough upbringing. I'm so scarred. No, you're not. Not if you put your hand into his scars because that's where your healing is. You got to experience his scars. You got to see him taking that for you in your place. Why would he let us run through life scarred if we're redeemed? Hurt, wounds, rejection, everybody's had some of that. You're going to get more of it as a believer than you ever had in life. You think it's easy street now and everything's going to be rosy? Just open your mouth with the gospel and see how rosy it is. Huh? But every time you're hurt, you can go to him and get healed. Every time you're wounded, you can go to him and get and, and get your healing. That's why he took the scars, because we are continually healed by the fountain of his precious blood. So he has, Jesus presented his case with many infallible proofs. The word doubt means to be driven by gusts. G-U-S-T-S, as in gusts of wind. So when you doubt, you just get blown every which way. You ever notice people that just constantly question that they don't want, they don't like the word, so they want to question it, and they'll go around and ask. You ever notice them get blown? Uh, I asked so-and-so, and they said that ain't true. Well, that never satisfies them, because then they still got to go ask somebody else, when the Bible says in the mouth of how many witnesses, every word is just two or three. 
you don't need a whole lot of people telling you that it's okay to do this or it's wrong to do that. You don't need all that. All you need is two or three witnesses. And and if you've got a good relationship with God, he'll bring that to you. You don't have to go around looking for nobody to confirm nothing. Huh? He will. He'll just let it come to you. And especially if you're doubting and wavering, you'll find more confirmation of God's word when you least think it's going to come to you. When you're wavering the most, God will continue to send. That's why I just I, I just get turned off when people say it's just a confirmation. Are you kidding me? That's everything. Because a word won't happen for you until it's confirmed. Oh, you think you're going to hear something just run off with it and make it happen? <laughs> Bippity-boppity. This ain't magic. This is faith, folks. You don't just hit it with your wand and then it appears. So to doubt means to be driven by gusts like a leaf blowing in the wind. In other words, you're flaky. Huh? It also means to fluctuate in midair. In other words, you kind of light, light in the spirit. <laughs> you don't have enough word in you to anchor you. Amen. To doubt also means to keep one in suspense. Now think about it. You you hear you hear a sermon or you grab a scripture and and you decide that you're going to believe God for something, Amen. Well, doubt hears it too, and he decides, well, I'm going to keep her in suspense about this. To doubt also means to torture. Now, you already got a yes answer from God, and then doubt comes and say, I'm going to keep you in suspense about this. I'm going to start messing with your head and make you think God's not going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Or he does it for other people. Because remember what you did, what you said, and you know your faith ain't where it's supposed to be. Oh, I don't think you're going to get that because so-and-so got it. When, When... The Bible says the wisdom from above is without partiality, which means that, listen, the the Syrophoenician woman knew better than that. Huh? So doubt really comes to torture us. And to keep us tossing, like James said, don't think you're going to get anything from God. Doubt's purpose is to keep you not getting anything from God by blowing you back and forth all the time. People who live by feelings get this. Because you, maybe some days you feel really peaceful. You, maybe you got in the word a little bit more. Maybe you got a little bit more encouragement or something. You've been around the right people instead of wrong people. And you feel like, boy, God's really going to do that thing. 
you feel really full of faith and really energetic and all that kind of stuff. And then doubt comes and say, really? Oh, who you think you are? And he starts talking you down from your exalted place and then tortures you with, is God going to do it? He's not going to do it. Is God going to do it? He's not going to do it. Is God going to do it? He's not going to do it. Toss to and fro. Every wind and wave of doctrine, some one of the, the scriptures says. And what happens many times is that people listen to too many of the wrong things that put them in doubt of what God really is speaking. You have to stay with the word. You have to be strong in the word, folks. Measure everything against the word and learn how to discern when God's speaking to you and stick with what he tells you and don't deviate. Once he speaks on something, he's not going to tomorrow change his mind about it and tell you the opposite of it. That's what the doubt is doing. It wants to torture you, keep you wavering, blowing back and forth. To doubt also means to be without resources. And see, your main resource should be the word of God. And so when doubt comes, it comes to get you away from your resource, which is the word. And pull you away from the word and whisper to you and tell you they got something else for you. I got something for you that, you know, you you ain't going to get this over there. You're going to only get this here. See what I'm saying? And so the enemy is good at doing that to pull us off of what God wants us to do, torture us with wondering. When your mind is not settled, you're being tortured. If you can't make a decision and stick with it, you're being tortured. Or the minute you make up your mind you're going to believe God, then you sit there for a minute and start conjuring up. See, what the enemy likes to do is train you to doubt yourself, and then he can go take a vacation. He lets you torture yourself. What did I do wrong? It's taken a long time. I don't know what I did wrong. God, what did I do wrong? And we don't really ask God that. You ever notice that? You don't really ask him. Your little religious mind says it to make you sound like you want to do the right thing. Just saying. But you really don't. Because once you get in a torture chamber, you convince yourself you belong there. I know how I know. Because somebody can come up and say something to me and I'll give them the word and, and want to put them at peace. But I, this ain't, I don't believe. I don't. Put yourself right back on the rack then. I was trying to get you off and show you what God says. Huh? Just put yourself right back up there again. When you're ready to quit beating yourself up and torturing yourself and trying to do the Lord's job. You get it done with that, then, you know, we'll talk. Huh? It also means to keep one in suspense. Did we say that? Like you can never get a straight yes or no answer from God. 
sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says wait. No, he don't. Go in the word and get your yes. You're supposed to say yes and amen to what's in there already. Crazy religious people. They should have a a category in the Christian bookstores, a doubt category. Books of doubt. Keep you right next to the faith. They need to put doubt right beside that and have all the books that give you more doubt than they give you anything else. God going to tell you to wait for. Want to torture yourself some more? (laughs) Well, I'm just waiting. No, you ain't waiting on nothing. You backslide waiting for some stuff. Doubt also means to be left wanting. You're going to be lacking something. Doubt's always going to tell you what's wrong with you. And you need to do this. And you need to do that. Well, I know you've been praying, but you know you're supposed to fast. Right when you sit up there with that burger on your plate. Torture. Huh? If you're supposed to fast, God will take your appetite. How do you think Jesus made it 40 days? He has some help. What you going to do, sit up and look at that hamburger for three hours and try not to want it? Torture. Say, okay, God, why'd you wait until I bought this? That's a good question. Sometimes God will want to do things quickly in your life. And you'll find out you just really don't want. You know how your wants get. I mean, it's not like there's anything wrong. But don't get me wrong. Don't come on now. Let's not play this religious game. Is it wrong to eat when you want to do something? I ain't talking about that. I ain't talking about right and wrong. And God's not either. You know in your heart. It's not like if it's wrong for you not to fast, what's he going to do, choke you if you take a bite of something? Oh, let's not get far out about this kind of stuff. The best fast you can do is quit gossiping with people. That's a biggie. That anybody can do. And it don't depend on burgers and fries either. Uh-huh. But God will take your appetite. He does me. I, I, You know, I quit being concerned about, am I fasting enough? Am I what are you trying to accomplish? What's the purpose of it anyway? Sometimes we don't even know what it does to us and what it's, what it's for and all that kind of stuff. If it's something you don't understand, it ain't for you. Go get in your Bible again. Go do something else. Go shopping. (laughs) Go get a burger. (laughs) To be left wanting. That's what doubt does. 
It means to put someone in a position that they don't know which way to turn. That way you never settle on God's word. You're always rethinking. Got to think it over again. Well, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. It means to hesitate. It means to disturb the peace or dispute. So your doubt comes to dispute the word of God. Now, doubt is probably already resident in most of us because of iniquity. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. I think it is where Eve is talking to. Yeah. Genesis chapter 3. I'll find a verse. Start in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, oh yeah, really? Oh, is that a fact? Now what does that, what is that voice? That's doubt. That's how doubt sounds. Is that really for you? Did God really say that? Did you hear that right? I received a prophecy. You know, we used to, I was in a women's group, and, you know, we would have certain certain speakers we would have come that moved in the gifts of the Spirit and that kind of stuff. And so I, I was on the board of that, that organization, and, and they would always tell board members, now make sure you get her to pray for you because she operates in, you know, so and so and such and such. So you want to hear from God. You know, you want to. It's all good. You understand what I'm saying? And so usually afterwards, we'd share with one another, you know, just in chatting and all that kind of stuff. You know, well, did she say anything? Whatever. You know, just chat, chat. And so one lady prophesied to me that I was going to teach the word of God and in all these other things about the nature of the word and so forth. And so afterwards, um, one of the, I was speaking to one of the ladies and I told her what she said. She said, oh, that was just the overflow of my prophecy. So within minutes, it can get killed. So doubt sits waiting. You got me? <laughs> God told me immediately, he said, you don't get leftovers from anybody's prophecy. He said, I never feed my children with leftovers. He said, you have a seat at the table. He said, that prophecy was for you. Amen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People don't know how much they play into the devil when they carry around these little jealousies. And, you know, there's, it's so quick to, to inflame them. And you know, a lot of times instead of standing in line waiting to hear what somebody got prophesied, you need to get your heart right. That's always a good activity to indulge in, you know, so you don't show the bad side of yourself. You know, we remain friends and everything, but you know, you just say to yourself, man, devil, 
So immediately when God starts to plant the word, doubt comes to uproot it. I mean, it don't take long. Amen. And so sometimes, you know, people can, and especially when people are kind of new in the things of God, you know, the enemy likes to take them on wild goose chases and and wild rides and, you know, so that they never get a chance to settle down and mature into things. We got a lot of ministers on the scrap heap because they let doubt come in or pride will come in. And kind of lift them up to the place where they think they're there already, you know. Don't need any kind of teaching. Don't need to submit to anybody. Don't need to be faithful, you know, that kind of stuff. And so doubt wants to keep us running around. (laughs) So he says, did God really say that? That you shouldn't eat of every tree? You mean you can't eat anything you want to eat? not throwing no shade okay said the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst god said you should not eat it you oh no you're not gonna die see the first thing he does is engages you in conversation mistake number one don't talk to the devil don't talk to that voice that causes you to dispute god's word You need a confirmation to settle that word in you and get that word to be engrafted in you. All the devil did was by probably constantly talking. This is it doesn't say this the first conversation, but generally it takes a little bit to uproot people from what God has if they're rooted in God. And I believe Adam and Eve were rooted in God. They lived peaceably in that garden. You see nothing about nobody getting fold out with his shirt and not his shirt and all that kind of stuff. They got along pretty good. So everything was peace until she didn't recognize or discern the subtlety of the devil. Huh? And he is subtle. He doesn't come right out. You notice he didn't say God didn't say that. He said did God really? Did he say every tree? Did he say? See, the enemy will rob us through semantics, through um, uh, nuance, just slight. And see, he comes to her in an agreeing voice. Yeah. Did God say that? Now, now, how many trees can't you eat from? Oh, okay. And he might have gone away for a while. Then he comes back again. And he says, did God, now which tree was that again you say you can't eat? Which one? Point to it. Show it to me. You know what I mean? That's how child molesters get involved in kids through subtlety. It's often a trusted relative. It's somebody that child feels comfortable with. And then they keep going closer and closer to what they really want until they get it. Amen. And so it's this subtlety that's connected with the voice of doubt. That's why you need the discernment of the Holy Spirit. 
You need to measure everything against the word of God. You need to be steady in your Bible. Amen. So that you can have that readiness to discern where that voice is coming from. Oftentimes the enemy plants doubt in your head so that it can get in your heart. And then that doubt becomes part of your thought process. You start talking to yourself a bunch of doubt. He doesn't need to come and tell you anything because you're full of doubt already. And I believe that that doubt comes with the carnal nature because we have a tendency to doubt anyway. If you hear good news, you ever notice some people that just, you know, dry. Like sometimes I get with something. My little buddy Rachel, you know, she's she's kind of like, and then she gets real dramatic sometimes, and and so I she'll say, I said, okay, Rachel, let's do this. Says, okay, Baba. I said, just curb your enthusiasm, okay? Just don't bowl me over with your joy. You know what I'm saying? So she's one of those people, but you know, with some people, it's good because they don't quickly jump in with you on everything. So you kind of have to watch it because with some of them, it is part of their makeup that they just kind of hold back a little bit, wait till they can measure up for themselves and see if they want to get all involved in it. Amen. <laughs> and after they get involved in it, they still ain't all involved in it. Amen. So, so, and, and it's just the way different people are made up different ways. But, but, you know, the, the enemy wants us to make doubt natural and faith in God unnatural. And he'll even say that sometimes. Well, it's normal to do so and so and such and such, isn't it? Huh? Oh, God don't expect us to just believe everything the first day. Well, let me ask you this. How many, how many years did it take you to say yes to Jesus to be saved from the hell he got you out of? Hmm? If it took you a long time, now that you're in the kingdom, you need to make up from some lost time, if you ask me. So he said in a subtle way, has God, he challenged her believing on the basis of maybe she misunderstood. Are you sure God wants to be that good to you? Are you sure you deserve him to be that good to you? Just because you want things to happen quickly. Do you think he's really going to do it for you just because you want it? Hmm? So the enemy has his way of planting the subtleties of doubt inside of our minds because doubt stands in your soul to refute everything good, everything perfect, everything godly that comes into your life. It just does. And so many times, you know, we'll want to make a change in the way that we view things or the way. And we can try and change it for a long time and don't realize we're wrestling with doubt. Sometimes it's good to just go make the change and let doubt chase you and try to tap you out of it. 
You understand what I'm saying? I mean, we got to get smart about these things. You want to be be more uh, quick to understand God, so you make up your mind. You're going to start, uh, instead of speed reading through a few scriptures, you're going to start to sit and meditate. You know, start first with, with, instead of going for an hour, just, you know, spare yourself the torture. Try ten minutes first. Huh? Well, I'm just not going to put no time on it because this me and God's time. You go play it with your phone, you know, all that. Me and God's time. Well, you know, I got all these apps on my phone. I know you do. All them nutty games on there. Huh? In Facebook, you're going to go in there and see who posts and what so you can have something to add to the gossip when you get around people. Just a thought. God's word really cannot be disputed. We said because of the infallible truths. That means that they are plainly known. That's what infallibility means. It means it's plainly known and indisputable. These proofs of the truth of God's word from beginning to end give credence to the thought that doubting God is unreasonable. So if you go from the beginning to the end of Scripture, you'll see all of the infallible proofs. Of the word of God. First of all, uh, there are about 400 prophecies about Jesus that he fulfilled. 400 of them. Now some scholars, you know, they, they split it up differently. But most agree that it's around that number. Now just to show you what infallibility means. Statistics say that a person fulfilling eight prophecies. Just one person being able to fulfill eight prophecies, the the chances of that happening is one in 100 quadrillion. That's one, two, three, four, five, six groups of zeros, of three zeros. The chances of a person fulfilling 48 prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So the fact that Jesus fulfilled over 400 prophecies, that's infallible proof, folks. I mean, nobody comes close to that. So just the fact that that his record is what it is should let us know that his word is good. And it'll come to pass for you if you believe it and quit doubting it. If you let that word settle and start kicking doubt out of your head and get doubt out of your heart and uproot everything in you that wants to fight the word of God, you'll be more than on the winning side because his word is true and it will come to pass of its own accord. If you leave it alone, it'll happen. Quit monking with it with with your doubt. Huh? Picking it apart. And well, it might happen for some people, but 
His proofs are infallible. Jesus fulfilled at least 400 prophecies from the Old Testament. This is a staggering amount compared to validations of mere men. From Genesis to Isaiah, in the word, type or shadow, the details about his life are amazing. Faith in Jesus is solid because no other person in history has been foretold by so many different voices over such a long period of time. Jesus, if God's word speaks truth about his son, it speaks truth everywhere. So the fact that it told the truth about Jesus means that it's true everywhere. You can trust God's word. In his word is life and light. And that's why his word brings hope. And that's what doubt likes to kill. It likes to kill hope. See, hope will keep you living even in the absence of faith. A lot of people that, you know, people who have severe depressions wind up in mental hospitals. They do it because they lose hope. And their life kind of seems to want to escape them as well when the hope is gone. But if you can give them a word that brings hope to them, their face begins to lighten up. Their countenance will change. So you can see the effect of light and life in a person immediately once it's ministered to them. I don't care how dark that person's thinking in their mind is. The Bible says the entrance of thy word brings light. And it brings understanding to the simple. You don't have to be a real deep scholarly person to understand nothing about God. And if you understand the word, that don't make you deep either. You understand what I'm saying? It got nothing to do with our conception of deep. John chapter 1 and verse 5 talks about Jesus being the light. John is one of those believing books. You look at it, Jesus talked about believing a lot in this uh, this one gospel. You want to get in there and find out the, the, the uh, benefits of faith and believing. It was a good book to do it. John chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 5, it says, uh, uh, verse 5, it says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So light dispels darkness. Amen. It says, and the light shined in the darkness. So, and it says the darkness didn't comprehend it. So what that means is the word comprehend means to overtake. So when light comes in, even if darkness wanted it to go away, it has no defense against it to make it leave. Darkness is totally dependent on light to remove itself before it can dominate. So that should give us a key to what's more powerful. 
God's word working through us is more powerful than any darkness or any doubt that comes against us. See, doubt is from the world of darkness. Doubt speaks of a temporal world and wants to make it permanent. And the only way it can make something temporary permanent is to work through somebody who has the power to get rid of it. So what the enemy must do is work through the believer to get his way. And he's not shy about doing that. If he came to Eve to talk to her and convince her to obey him, it's not a big thing that he hangs around believers. It's not a big thing. He'll send people after people. You know, people, sometimes you know people in the world. And you get saved, the devil will send them right after you to come and retrieve you and bring you back. And he does it. He's successful with it a lot. You know, he finds weak-minded people that just got to have friends. <laughs> Can't be my myself. <laughs> huh? Have a little conniption at the thought of being by yourself. And see, you got Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and he'll convince you you by yourself. And you lonely and all of that. Huh? <laughs> True. God has really designated seasons in our lives where nobody else is invited. And you don't go inviting them either on top of God's no. God says, no, they don't get involved. They're not invited. You don't come to the party. <laughs> you ain't got the right clothes on. I'm hip. I'm slick. See, that's the way the devil will do you. He invited everywhere. Because he wants to bust through Bogart, tear down. So you can't just disinvite him. You got to totally ignore him. You act like he ain't there. Uh-huh. It's like, get behind me. Follow me if you want to, but you're going to be in for the shock of your life. When we get to worshiping and we get to praising and we get to doing all of that stuff, you going to want to wish you didn't come. Amen. You're going to want to not be invited to the party. So the light always dispels darkness. Darkness cannot comprehend or overtake it. Darkness cannot push light out of the way. Amen. Chuck, your neck going to swivel all the way. It's going to go like the, the little girl. <laughs> Just swiveling. <laughs> What's going on? Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pay attention here. It's all taken care of. God's made provision for you to pay attention and nothing else. So we got this. Amen. So you have to really understand that God wants us to take a stand against dark and we doubt and we can stand. See, once you stand, understand that you're going to be successful at it. You must accept that you are going to stay with it, be successful at it, and not let go. Because that's the truth. What you have is so much more powerful than what the enemy puts out 
But if you sit and consider and ponder and wonder, once he gets your attention, he's got you. You've got to learn how to ignore doubt. When it comes to you, you don't have to rebuke it, address it. You really don't have to do anything but just continue to pick up the word. You say, oh, doubt. Well, let me tell you something. You going to stay around? Really? Let me tell you a few things that's going to happen. See, darkness cannot overtake light. So doubt can never overtake God's word. It cannot put God's word out. You can walk around in deception for a long time after having believed something. Now, see, you know, you we have been doing this for a few years. I've seen a lot of stuff that I didn't think, oh, they can't do that. They got God's word in them. Yeah, right. People can easily, just by submerging themselves in the wrong atmosphere, can come up deceived and then walk away from something God promised them. Yeah. I've seen people, uh, uh, I just want my husband back. We, we, I want reconciliation. Okay, we agree with you. Pray. And years later, they quit coming to church. You hear him tell, well, God never told me that to begin with. And you don't believe you're talking to the same person. You got me? So we're all just, you understand what I'm saying? you got to be adamant about this. you got to be sold on this. you got to be, God, once I start to believe your word, I'm sticking with you. I don't care what who says who about what. Huh? So darkness cannot overtake doubt, but darkness can have the final word if you let go of the word. He wants you to let go of it. He wants you to stop believing. He wants you to lose heart. He wants you to faint. That's why the Bible tells us you will reap if you don't faint. Huh? God's word is alive and it's powerful. The Bible says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Woo! You mean you're going to let that go and go to blowing, getting blown every which way and wind and wave and tossed to and fro? You're going to let a weapon like that leave your life and start getting tossed around because it sounds good to your ears? Doubt really says, I must believe, doubt says, I must see first, and then I'll believe. That's really what it wants. Because that's what we start craving. The minute it don't show up day one, doubt creeps in. Instead of us reiterating the word, speaking the word anyway, we go off and follow doubt just to see where that's going to lead us. And as long as you follow doubt, you've left the word behind. So we follow up on the doubt and see if there's anything in that for us. But you ever see people like that? They just go picking stuff anyway. 
It don't even have your name on it. You're going to open it. You ever had wrong mail come to your house and get curious about it, open it anyway? Huh? It ain't for you. What you opening it for? Huh? Well, that's the way doubt is. We're not supposed to open up that box of doubt. Isaiah 55, 11 says the word accomplishes what it says it'll do. All you got to do is let the word do the work. The Bible doesn't say anything about you bringing anything to pass. The Bible says God will bring it to pass. But you got to believe that you can have what you say. You got to get yourself involved in it and say it. That's what doubt really wants to do to give, keep you from saying or or make you embarrassed to say it. Huh? Make you think this ain't going to happen. Half God really said he was going to do that for me. Well, he saved you already. Now think about it. Anything else is really secondary. Huh? You think what you drive makes you important? Whose label is in your clothes makes you important? Huh? How much you got in the bank, maybe what kind of house you have, what neighborhood you in, what kind of job you, you think that makes you important? Your soul has been saved. You are a walking miracle. Are you kidding me? Well, if he gave you that, surely he would not withhold the world's goods from you. The rest of it is small potatoes. You just keep believing that word. Keep ministering that word to yourself. When doubt comes to you and says not so, you say so? It is so. Huh? I got it right here in black and white. It is so, devil. It is yes and amen by me. I say yes and amen, and I'm not wavering. In John 11, chapter 40, Jesus tells Martha, he said, Didn't I tell you if you believed, you would see the kingdom of God? If you believe, you will see. Not if you see and then go believe. Anybody can do that. You know, that's cheap anyway. Considering what he did for us, for us to have to see something first and then believe. Now, it's enough. He, we see it in the Bible. You see all kinds of examples of everything that we need. Those people in the word are examples for us. So you're already seeing what God can do. You're already seeing what he will do if he's believed. Then we read stuff like Abraham. See, we're scared of that. You're scared of Romans chapter 4. Double dog dare you to turn there. I'm turning there myself. Scares me a little bit still myself. Verse 13, it says, for the promise 
that he would be the heir of the world. Let's suppose God said that to you. Huh? But it's true for us too. We're his seed. We're heirs of the world. We are the final heirs of everything in this world. Amen? The children of God are. The righteous ones. A righteous God left that to his righteous children. He didn't leave it to no sinners. Just like if your name is, is Smith. Well, I'll, I'll say uh, Stone. Nola was the only child of of uh, of, of Roly, what was your daddy's name? Jack, yeah, yeah. Roly and Jack Stone. And so she was the only heir, so everything had to go to her. It didn't go to somebody across town or somebody down the street or she was a sole heir, so she got it. Amen. There is not another people on the earth that God is going to give to what he gives to us we're the only ones we're the righteous amen so we inherit the earth the bible says the meek shall inherit the earth and we get it every day every day some sinner goes stupid and leaves something that's laid up for us we just got to use our faith and obedience to god you can't just go take it cha-ching like that you have to walk this walk with God, but that's where our goods come from. Amen? And there's plenty of it. Trust me. The word accomplishes what it says it will. So it says here, verse 13, for the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, that is his natural seed, but through the righteousness of faith. So that means anybody who believes that their heir of the world is heir of the world. That's us. We're the righteous by faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, then faith is made void. So what's the point? You can't find a natural person living now that can prove their seed of Abraham. So what's the point? And it says, because the law works wrath, for no law is where no law is, there's no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. So anybody who believes can partake of the grace to receive through faith. So when you believe God, when you got saved, God afforded you because you believe somebody told you if you confess and repent of your sin and invite Jesus in your heart, he'll come in. And grace was extended to you to do that. You can't do it without grace. So you can't just go around claiming stuff because you think you want to have it. Grace must be extended to you to receive what it is that you believe. That's why, you know, a lot of times people think they're believing something and they're really not. Because they sit waiting and don't don't even realize they're not in faith anymore. Because faith allows you to apprehend that which you believe. So when you believe in your heart 
and you confess what you believe, then if your faith is of the right caliber, God extends the grace to you to receive that. What happens after that? Then if you say you received it, you can have what you say. It will come to pass. How long? None of your business. That's for God to know and you to find out. What difference does it make? You going anywhere? You got appointment with another kingdom somewhere you got to get involved in? You got another God you think you can get something from? That's what I thought. So let's just hold our little horses. Because you're going to want to make a determination based on how long. If God told you how long, you wouldn't believe it. No, it ain't going to take. It ain't going to take me that long. Huh? I'm a tough hombre. I got my six gun on me. Kill every devil. Why are you killing devils? Why don't you start meditating on the word, little hombre, and put your little guns back in the holster? Amen. Getting it fast don't mean nothing. Oh, Pastor Barb, don't tell me that I can't wait. Oh, honey, trust me, you will. Huh? I'll be old. You don't have to get old. Ask him to renew your youth. While you're sitting up here acting crazy about it, ask him to renew your youth. If you think young is everything. Huh? <laughs> no, but Abraham, he he wanted to receive what God had for him. That's why he let his heart believe it. See, all you got to do is want to and open your heart to believe it and faith will come in. It's just that simple. But you got to learn how to hold on to it. Amen. Why don't we stop? We'll pick it up here tomorrow, okay? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you, Lord, for giving us everything that we need by the power of faith. We curse doubt, unbelief, unbelief masquerading its doubt in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing to, to usher in your will in our lives it's only good father let us know that faith really means trusting you to bring the good thing that we desire to pass to come to pass in its season and we thank you lord we honor you for that in jesus name amen and praise god amen 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 amen